It's great to be here this morning. I want to thank Pastor Stan and Pastor Nate for having us and uh, making us feel welcome. And I was just with Pastor Barry at the other campus, so it's been a whirlwind of a morning, but God's good. As he said, my name is Aaron Santamire. I was born and raised in Wally Ford, West Virginia, a grand metropolis in the eastern panhandle. And uh, when I was 12 years old, I went to a youth camp, and I went to a youth camp at Potomac Park Camp, and God called me to be a missionary. I said, God, you got the wrong guy. Maybe you should have been the guy beside me. But he said, no, it's you. And um, I prayed about it. My, I talked to my parents about it. said, I really feel God's called me to go to Africa. And my dad said, you know what? I grew up in a lower middle class family. My dad said, we can't afford Bible school. There's no way. He said, so why don't you go to a state school, and then from there on you can see what you can do. So I went to University of Maryland, got my degree in nursing, became a registered nurse, and then I went to Southeastern College in Lakeland, Florida, and that's where I met Heather and convinced her that I was good-looking and could do great things, and she believed it. And um, Heather was born and raised in Zimbabwe. Her parents were missionaries there, and uh, she also had a call to go back to Africa to specifically work with those orphans in Africa. And so Heather was there getting a degree in elementary education. We were married in 2000. She finished her degree, and I began to work on my master's degree to become a family nurse practitioner. During that time, we applied to be missionaries, and they asked us to go to Burkina Faso. I said, no, I want to go to Africa. I don't want to go to Burkina Faso. They said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know where that place is, but I want to go to to Africa. And so they got the globe out, and they said, Burkina Faso is in Africa, my great West Virginia education. And um, they said, that's where you need to... We think you should go. He said, you'll need to go to France to learn French, and then from then on, um, you'll, you'll be in Burkina. And so it was during that time, the first time I came to Clover Hill was in March of 2003. I spoke on a Wednesday night when not, this building wasn't even here. And this church has been faithfully supporting us ever since then through your faith promises and praying for us. And we're so appreciative and thank you for your faithfulness in doing that. And so we went as we raised our support, and then we went to France. Our daughter Isabel was born there um, while we were in language school. And uh, we went to Burkina Faso. We worked there for two and a half years. I worked in a clinic um, helping women who had HIV to prevent the transmission from the virus from the mother to the child. And Heather worked in our Bible school teaching English and working, um, developing and working with Sunday school programs there. Then they asked us, they said, well, can you consider going to Madagascar? So we prayed about it, and there were some other people we knew that were working there, and we were excited. So we came back to the United States in 2006. My son Josiah was born. And then um, we headed to Madagascar since 2007. That's where we've been. And um, Heather works in Madagascar specifically. Um, we have a, there's a Bible school there. We work on a team. So if I say we, I don't just mean Aaron Santamire. It's our team. There's a team there of missionaries. Jim Thacker, he leads the Bible school. And um, 120 students in the school, 40 students in each year. It's a three-year program. And so um, Heather teaches our students to teach for transformation. How many of you know there's a difference between teaching and preaching? And so she teaches our pastors how they can not just preach the same sermon every Sunday, three and a half hours long, but they can have an objective and a point to their sermon to see hearts and lives transformed. And so she also teaches English. And when we got there, they asked us, they said, listen, we would really like um, for you to take over the orphanage. They thought we were young, and that's before I had gray hair and a receding hairline. And they said, this is for you. So they gave us 43 kids that another couple had started an orphanage. They had to leave, so we inherited those kids. And it's been a joy and to see them grow and develop. And so we're also involved in that. I also, as I began to travel the island, reaching out and doing medical outreaches, I realized that Madagascar had a large percentage of, of some certain skin diseases, um, specifically leprosy and chromoblastomycosis. 
So when we were home on furlough in 2011, I got my doctorate from, the, from West Virginia University in skin and soft tissue infections, specifically so we could go back and begin to work with those two skin diseases. So I travel up into the north part of the island to a, a, a hospital called Indapa in a city, and they put out a radio announcement, and people come walk four or five days to get to the hospital um, that have these skin diseases. And so the thing is, when you see them come, Lepers in Madagascar, chromoblastomycosis is another skin disease. When they come, their wounds have a strong odor. And so when they come, people can, you can smell them before you see them. And so their family has ostracized them, stigmatized, marginalized them, because no one honestly really wants to eat with them because the odor is so overwhelming. Flies all over their wounds. And so no one really wants to eat with them. They build them a little hut. They tell them to stay away. We don't want to catch what you have. And so they're isolated. So they come to the clinic hoping that something can make this better. And so they come, we're able to give them medicines. Um, within a month, those wounds will dry up. Now, the treatment is long, longer term than that, but the wounds dry up in the first month. So they come back in, a smile on their face. They're so excited. Their families allow them to eat with them again. They're back into social connection. In Madagascar, where they don't have the wealth and the, the uber wealth that we have in the United States, relationships are everything. And so they want those relationships. So they come back, they're excited for that. And so, you know, what we do know is this. There will be people in heaven who die, have leprosy and die. And if they know Jesus, they'll make it to heaven. There will be kids who starve to death. And if they've heard and accepted Jesus Christ, they will make it to heaven. But there will not be anybody in heaven who does not know Jesus. So when the lepers and the people come back, we share the message and love of Jesus Christ and say, you know what, we gave you a a, a solution for this physical problem. But we believe that God is the answer and Jesus Christ is the answer for your spiritual, your spiritual struggle. So we're able to pray with them and encourage them about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So that's just a little bit about the Santa Myers. We have prayer cards and some prayer journals in the back. If you would take one of them and remember to pray that God would give us wisdom and courage. Um, The prayer journal specifically walks you through the 18 tribes in Madagascar and gives you like a prime, the pump on how to pray for those tribes. You probably don't know anything about the Sakalava tribe in Madagascar. I didn't know before I went there. But there's about a 50-word prayer there that our team has put together to write. So begin, you can begin to pray, get to know a little bit about that group. And we would just ask you to prayfully to consider these people and pray for them, that God will help us share and shine the light of Jesus Christ in some very, very dark places. And so pray for us. This morning we're going to um, turn to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. Um, we'll start reading at verse 3. The message is entitled, Four Lessons from Four Lepers. Four lessons from four lepers. Now, as I came back, and I, as I said, I've been working with lepers, I began to look through, the, through God's Word and see where leprosy came up and see how it was dealt with and, and began to see and wanted to know more about it. Now, the leprosy of the Bible is not the leprosy of today. There's two do- the leprosy of the Bible is a, a category of a lot of skin diseases. The leprosy of today is a specific bacterium, a specific infection. Um, But we're going to see this uh, four lessons from four lepers, starting in 2 Kings chapter 7, in verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. If we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there, for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. 
So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we're, we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the Aramean camp and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone. Only tethered horses and donkeys and tents left just as they were. The gatekeeper shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning that we can praise and worship you. Father, we thank you that we can read and look at your word. Father, we know it's not the words that Aaron Stanemeyer says this morning that are important. God, it's not what I say, but it's what your Holy Spirit does in our hearts and lives. So, Father, I ask you to use the words I say through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we are dependent upon you. Father, I pray that we do not leave here the same, just with a bunch of new stories and a bunch of knowledge. But, God, we leave here transformed. God, that you'll transform each and every heart in this place and draw them closer to you and help them to be people that love and follow you. We pray it all in the name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen. I love reading God's Word for two reasons. One, sometimes people think West Virginians can't read, so I've now proved to you that West Virginians can read. And the second thing is you learn new things every time you read God's Word. I've read it through many, many times, but I learn something new each and every time we read through it. So the first thing we see is you see these men. They're sitting outside the city gates. They're waiting there. Normally what happens is there's a, the people have compassion on them. They bring them food. They're able to eat. Everything is good. But there's a famine going on and there's no food. So if you can't feed your kids, you don't have food to feed the, the men outside the city gates. They're not allowed in. They, there's nothing they can do. They're ostracized. They're stigmatized. They're marginalized. There they are. And the first thing we see and the first lesson we can learn from them is these men resisted complacency. They resisted complacency. They said, we can just sit here. We can sit here and do nothing. But what did they say? No, 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 we're not going to just sit here. We're going to be people of action. As we, we have the opportunity of living in Madagascar for four years then coming home. Living for four years and coming home. And we see changes in American culture that maybe if you live here the whole time you don't see. And one thing that we see as we come back to America today is that Americans in general are more apathetic and more complacent than we ever have been. We've fallen into complacency, whether that is spiritual, whether that's in our family, whatever it is, we've been taught, we've, been, we've bought the line that if we become more comfortable, then we'll be more fulfilled. If I can just be more comfortable, I'll be more fulfilled. But the greatest times in Aaron Santemeyer's life have come when I've went through a time of difficulty, when I've went through a struggle. Because I've had to realize that I am dependent upon Him. It's not been the times that I've been so comfortable and everything's good. Because what happens when everything's comfortable and everything's good? I don't, it's not good, but I don't rely as much on Him. God has called us to be people of action. He has called His church to resist complacency, to resist apathy, and to concentrate on Him and resist that pull. I wish society pulled us towards Jesus. But our society is constantly causing us to drift away from Him. And we have to resist that and say, I'm keeping my eyes on Him. We in Madagascar, our kids' schooling options have become a, a, a difficulty, but they, they've been 
in a French school up until now. Meaning that they go to school and they study in French. They speak French better than this West Virginian will ever imagine to speak. Phenomenal speakers. And so one day my son came home and he said, you know what, Dad, we're having a, a festival at school called Monsieur Carnival. And we're going to have this and they're gonna, we're building a paper mache man. It's going to be great, Dad. It's going to be awesome. I said, well, he's kind of like me. He exaggerates some stories sometimes. I'm thinking, how great is it going to be? And how big is this guy really going to be? And so I was in the bush doing a medical outreach, and Heather went to the school that day. She gets to the school, and they have Monsieur Carnival, nine-foot paper mache man on a cross in the middle of the courtyard. They call the 220 kids at the school. They tell them to come out. They tell them, this man is going to take away your sins today. We're going to cast our sins onto this paper mache man. We're going to light him on fire, and all your sins from the past year will be gone. So the kids chanted, and, sang, and they threw all their sins on him. Then someone from the school went up and lit him on fire, and everyone cheered and clapped because this man had taken their sins away. My wife came home, and she was disturbed by what she saw. My kids and the other, some of the other families were also disturbed. And we had a, de- a decision to make. We knew that in, in, in French system, French culture that a lot of times, not culture, but in the school system, a lot of times what will happen is they're very kind to you if a parent raises an issue. You go to school and say, listen, we don't like this. We don't like our kids reading about witches and warlocks and all that. We, and they're very, very kind. And then when you leave, sometimes they'll humili- humiliate your kids. They'll take it out on your kids. They're kind to you, but they'll take it out kind of passive-aggressive onto your kids. And so there you are. What are we going to do? Are we going to put our kids in the crossfires? Heather prays about it, and she thinks, she says, you know what, we've come to Madagascar to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We can't just sit there and sit back and not say anything. What I do know is this. People, I've never run into a person that had a problem with Jesus. Jesus went around healing people and doing miracles and proclaiming good news. People don't have a problem with Jesus. But what they do have a problem is, is Christians who do not act in love. And maybe you're here today and you have a problem with Christians because they weren't very kind or they weren't very loving. So Heather went in humbly to the school in a loving uh, attitude. She didn't take her Bible and started swinging around saying, this is a sword of the Spirit and I'm going to kill you. She didn't do that. She went in there and said, you know what? We have come to Madagascar because we believe that, you know, you put that man on a cross. and We believe Jesus came and he died on a cross. And we believe that when he died, he paid for our sins past, present, and future. And that's where our hope is. And you can continue to have this at the French school but the Santa Meyer family cannot be there. We will just not be there. We're not trying to transform your culture, but in love we want you to know we don't believe in it and we cannot participate in it. I'd like to tell you that the story went like this, that, that everyone came to Jesus, the teacher and the director, and now it's a Christian school, and it, it didn't happen that way. Jesus and God, God does not make us responsible for the results. He calls us to be obedient. He calls us to be people of action, and then he takes care of the results. God has called his church to resist complacency and to be people of action. The second thing we see in this text is, is these men, by the fact of leaving the city gates and going down into this camp, what did they have to do? They had to reject fear. Because by going down in that camp, they could have been killed. By law, by the custom of the day, lepers were not allowed to go into a camp. If they go into the camp, they can kill them. So they had to reject fear. They had to say, you know what, we're going to be people of great courage. And we have to reject this fear. And so they, they went down, and they went down into the camp. And as we come back to America, in general, Americans are more fearful than we ever have been. I'm 39 years old, and I have never seen America as fearful as it is now. 
We're fearful of who's going to be elected president. We're fearful of economic crisis. We're fearful of Zika virus. We're fearful of Ebola virus. We're fearful of this, fearful for that. Wind, rain, storms, floods. You name it, we're fearful of it. And if you can't find something to be fearful, just watch the news and you'll find something. There's enough on there to make everyone fearful. But what I do know is this. When I keep my eyes concentrated on Jesus, I'm of great courage. When I get my eyes off Him, I become very fearful. Aaron is not the most courageous guy you'll ever meet. Fear is something I struggle with, sometimes every five minutes, sometimes every day, sometimes every hour. I have to remind myself who I am in Jesus Christ. When I remind myself who I am in Him, and when I concentrate on Him, the fear dissipates. Maybe you're here this morning and you struggle with fear, and you get caught up in that. The answer for that is is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. When you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and you concentrate on Him, He gives you great courage. These men were men of great courage. One of the opportunities I have in Madagascar is to go out into the bush, and there's a mission there called Heli Mission. They take us out in a helicopter into remote areas that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. No one is there. There's not a church there. It's normally governed and run by spiritual uh, witch doctors who are normally big, large ladies, naked, and uh, all covered in pig fat, so you can't grab a hold of them. They run around villages casting curses and spells on the people. Now you think... That doesn't happen in Chesterfield or Richmond, and we don't know anything about that. But I'm telling you, it happens in Madagascar. And so we were going out there to help plant a church with one of the local pastors and some of the other team members, and we there was a large group of us. And so I stayed behind with the medicines. I was going to be on the second group in. And um, this lady came up to me, and she said, you know what? You can't fly today. You're, you're grounded. She looked more like a prostitute than she did an um, air traffic controller. So I said, well, who, who are you? She said, well, I'm telling you, you can't fly today. So I'm thinking, well, I don't know. So we stand there, wait the helicopter. He puts it down. He doesn't turn the, the rotor off. We jump in. We get in there, and I tell him, hey, she says we can't fly. He said, who's she? I said, I don't know. I'm just the messenger. She says we're done for today. He said, we have all the paperwork. We're fine. So he begins to pull back. As he pulls back, and we begin to take off, the next thing you know, the military shows up with their AK-47s looking for a fight. Missionaries don't travel with AK-47s, at least not this missionary. So he puts the helicopter back down on the ground. He gets out. He gets out and he begins to talk to him, and they're, they're screaming and hollering, pointing the guns at him, just looking for a fight. I'm thinking, this is not a good situation. Feast, the doctor I work with, who is a blessing, a Malagasy doctor, and also a brother in Christ, he, gets, he says, you know what, I need to go out and help him. I need to be the intermediary in this situation. So he gets out. He begins to try to talk. And as soon as he gets out, the guy elbows him in the back and tries to knock him to the ground, screaming and hollering at him. Now, at this point, wise West Virginians stay in the helicopter and pray for Jesus to do a miracle. So I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to do? I got two friends out there, and they got guns, and what are we going to do? But I do know this. God gives us a spirit of courage. So I get out of that helicopter. As soon as I get out, I get the drunk guy who's looking for a fight with an American, and he's screaming and hollering. I'm trying to be logical with someone who's being illogical. And he's enraged, and the more I talk, the more enraged he's becoming. Shoving his gun, all parts of my body. I like to tell you Aaron wakes up every morning and says, Dear God, help me to run into somebody today who has an AK-47. Help him to disrupt my plans and make my day difficult. I don't pray that prayer. But I do know when I walk with him. He gives me courage. When I walk in with my own strength, I'm fearful. But I, when I walk with Jesus Christ, He gives me courage. Church, I believe He has called us. Spirit-empowered. We're, we're filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
not just to speak in tongues, but that we have boldness to witness. And when people are around us at work or at home, the neighborhoods are scared, they're fearful. If I didn't have Jesus, I'd be fearful all the time too. But we as a church should not be modeling that. We should be set apart. And when people should come to us when they're fearful and say, I need, I need some of that Jesus and I need the courage that comes with him. The, first, the two lessons we've learned so far is we need to resist complacency and be people of action. The second lesson we see is, is we need to reject fear and we need to be people of great courage. And the third thing we see is we need to refuse self-centeredness. Refuse self-centeredness. As we come back to America, the America that I love and born and raised, I got red, white, and blue on this morning. I'm American through and through. But we're more self-centered than we ever have been. Media, marketing, and you love it or hate it, it has taught us if you focus on yourself, you'll be happy. If you, we went to the mall last night. You guys got huge malls down here, bigger than we have in West Virginia. Big malls, and lots of money, and lots of people spending money. Everybody there, not everybody, but people are spending money. Why? Because they thought, if I just get the next iPhone, if I just get the ne- this or this or this, then I'll be happy. What Aaron Santemeyer knows is this. When I have searched for joy in other things, I'm more lonely than I ever have been. Because when I get it, I realize it didn't fill the void. As men, we look, maybe it's job. Maybe I thought, you know, if I get my master's, I get my doctorate, if I do this, 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 I'll be happy. It doesn't work. You get there, and what happens? It's happy for a few hours, and then you realize it didn't fill your void. In America today, we've sacrificed relationships with real live people for financial gain. We have been taught if you work longer, you work harder, you'll make more money. What does that get you? It doesn't get you joy and happiness. People in America today, in general, are more depressed than we ever have been. We're more isolated, more separated than we ever have been. And God has called His church not to be isolated. But He has called His church to not be self-focused, but to say we're people of transcendence. It's not about what Aaron Santemeyer wants. It's about His church. It's not about what Aaron Santemeyer wants. It's about Him. And when I get my eyes focused on Him and get them off me, He does great things. Church, He has called us to refuse refuse to be self-centered. There's nothing in this gospel that says focus on yourself. I can't find it. It says it's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. If American culture tells you to focus on yourself, it's against God's Word. We as a church need to say once again, you know what, I'm not like the culture. I'm not like the people. Not beating people over the head, but saying, you know what, I refuse to be self-centered. I'm going to focus on Him. I have friends that I came home that I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Assemblies of God church, Pentecostal church. The first thing they tell me, I don't like this church, they sing too loud. I don't like this church, they sing too soft. I don't like that church because the missionary talks too long. They can give you 15 reasons why they, them, I don't like that church. And I said, that's the problem. It's not all about you. The church is not there just so you're happy because we're, it's a bunch of people. It's a bunch of people. We get our eyes focused on ourselves, our influence becomes very small. We have families that are breaking apart today. Why? Because you have one individual or maybe both individual, husband or wife or both, that begin to focus on themselves and don't care about what the spouse wants. Don't care about the, what the kids, they focus on themselves and what happens? They become isolated and their influence shrinks. God has called his church to say, you know what, we're not a group of self-centered people. We're a group of people that concentrate on him. We had the opportunity to go to Kenya 
We were on to go on a safari. We wanted to see our kids just go on a safari. Madagascar don't come there for safari animals. We have lemurs, fusas, and a bunch of weird lizards, but we don't have any exciting things that I think. Weird plants, but not, not any big animals. And so we were in Kenya, we were going to go on a safari. We wanted to see the big five. The big five is elephant, rhino, leopard, lion, and Cape buffalo. So we had saw a lot of the animals the day before, came back that night. My colleague, Jay, who's been a good friend, and a great friend, actually, He's had my back when, when it was easier not to. And if you have a friend like that, you're blessed. And Jay's that guy. Jay and I are kind of like brothers. We kind of like to best each other's story. So he tells a story. I got a better one. I got one. He's got a better one. Back and forth with each other. So he came back and he said, you'll never guess what we saw. He said, we were out on the savannah and there's this gazelle giving birth. The product of her consumption is growing inside of her and she was isolated. This hyena comes up behind her. And he comes up behind her, and as she begins to push that baby out, the hyena takes a bite. Pushes out a little more, the hyena takes another bite. The baby never hit the ground. That baby gazelle never took a breath. The hyena ate it, ate it alive before it ever touched the ground. The next day, we wake up in the morning. We get up in the morning, and there we are. We're, we're early in the morning because we want to see a leopard, and they tell you leopards are hard to find, and you've got to get up in the morning. I'm not much of a hunter. I like to fish, but I'm not a hunter. So we get up in the morning, and we're looking for a leopard. You know, you go out there, and the guy's driving. You're bouncing all the way around, and, and we're looking. And he sees something moving in the brush. He sees these animals running. It looks like a bit, bunch of big deer to me. I don't know what we're looking at. He says, there's kudu. There's something there. So we begin to see. We're driving real fast to go see there, and you see this group of kudu in a v formation they're chasing something and it's in the middle so we get closer and closer and closer and there's a leopard and he's they're chasing this leopard and they chase it up into the tree we watch the leopard we take pictures and it's great we drive back a little further and then we see there's a female kudu with her baby see the difference is this the day before the gazelle was isolated and the enemy came and ate the product of what was inside of her and the baby died the next day, that kudu was into a family, into an environment, and when the enemy came, what happened? The enemy didn't get the baby because the family was there to chase the enemy away. That is what the church of Jesus Christ is placed here today. That is what Clover Hill Assembly of God is all about. It is a community of people. The enemy's going to come. The enemy is going to come. I wish he wouldn't, but he is. But when you're involved in a community, a body of believers, when the enemy comes, you can chase the enemy away. We need each other. We were not made to be isolated. We were made to be a group of people that love Jesus Christ. And do we do that together? The first thing we see is we resist complacency. The second thing we see is these men, they were ejected fear. The third thing we see is they refused to be self-centered, but they said there's something bigger than just us. They went back and announced the good news. And the last thing we see is, is we need to reclaim the miraculous in our lives. Maybe you're here today, and Aaron Santamire is an ordinary, maybe less than ordinary um, person from Wally Ford, West Virginia. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, Aaron, I'm actually extraordinary. Um, I don't fit the ordinary category. But what I've learned is, is God takes ordinary people. He does extraordinary things. Not because of the ordinary person, but because of who he is. And I believe he's calling his church to reclaim the miraculous once again. I think in our churches, as I travel and speak, somehow the miraculous has kind of been pushed to the side. And we think that we can isolate and manipulate situations the way we want them. But when we're dependent on him, he does great things. If you're writing this story, would you pick four lepers? No. 
We've been in so indoctrinated with Hollywood, we'd have 30 large or a bunch of big men and women go down to the camp. They tie them up. They bring them back in a parade, bring all the loot back. They have a big party. That's how Hollywood will portray this story. But is that what God chose? God chose four lepers in that society less than ordinary, ostracized, stigmatized, marginalized people to save the city. And I believe that that's the same God that I serve today. I believe God takes ordinary people and he does extraordinary things. But we have to be willing to follow and serve him. We need to reclaim the miraculous in our lives. I'll end with this. I told this story at the youth convention. I had the opportunity to go out onto the Monombulu River, which is in the west of Madagascar. It's kind of like the wild, wild west. 43% of the country is controlled by the government. The rest of it is who has the biggest gun. So we were going to go out there and provide some medical care and do some evangelization. Um, one of the other missions had a hovercraft. I thought, that sounds cool. I'd never been on a hovercraft. And so we, we fly out there on a math, mission aviation plane. They scare the cows off the runway. We land on this dirt path. We get out. The villagers are so glad we've come. They said, well, we must get on the other side of the river because this is where the bandits live, and they'll steal everything we have, and they'll kill us. So we get to the edge of the river. We get there, and um, we get in these canoes. Now, these canoes are not made for boys like me who love apple pie and vanilla ice cream. And so we get in there, and, and we sit down, and, and I'm, beginning to, I'm with another Malagasy. He's in the front. Now, that means it's, it's tipped up in the front because my weight's having it in the back. We begin to paddle, and we get a little bit ways across the river. It's very wide but very shallow. And my bum is causing that, that canoe to get stuck on the bottom. We get out, move it, put it in deeper water. We do this two or three times. And my nice Malagasy guide is not so happy anymore um, because I'm, we're doing extra work because of me and my love for apple pie. And so um, I, I'm trying to break the, the tension there. And I said, look, I see some eyes in the water. So it looks like crocodiles to me. He said, yes, we have crocodiles here in the river. He said, but don't worry. He said, we've made a pact with the crocodiles. He said, our ancestors and their ancestors had a meeting. And we, they agreed that the crocodiles wouldn't eat us and that we wouldn't eat the crocodiles, so there's no concerns. I said, were my ancestors from Wally Ford, West Virginia there when they made that pact? He said, well, they might eat you, but they won't eat me. Real reassuring. So we get to the other side. Obviously, I didn't lose any fingers or toes. We get to the other side. We set up camp. That night, it pours down rain. Rains, that river that was very shallow, became like a rushing torrent down through that valley. They said, no worries, we got a hovercraft. Anytime somebody tells you don't worry, that's probably when you should start worrying. And so we get into that hovercraft, and the guy that was teaching, learning to drive, and the guy that was teaching him to drive didn't speak a common language, which was another major problem. And so within 30 seconds, that thing goes off the river, and we hit somebody's house and, and knock their house down. And then we have to spend time explaining and apologizing and pleading and tell them we'll pay to rebuild their house. We get back on the river go a little further, bouncing off trees and rocks, and finally make it to the creek where it's supposed to take us up to this village. Going up that creek, the guy thought he said go faster instead of go slower, and we end up on the bank up on our side. The doctor I work with, he's popping his blood pressure pills. He doesn't know how to swim, and he doesn't want to be crocodile food for that day. Finally get the, the, the hovercraft back in the water. The villagers are laughing at us. We honestly could have walked there quicker than we could have taken this thing. They're laughing at us, and we get to the village. The chief comes down, and the Madagascar, you can't just trumps into a village. You have to ask them for permission to come. He came down. We told him what we were coming. He was very open and accepting. He said, we've asked for people to come. 
many times. He wanted us to come there for their physical needs. He said, you know what? People won't come. We're so isolated. We're so far out. No one will come here. He said, you know, about one in four of the women in their village were dying in childbirth because there was no one there to do a cesarean section. So if you know someone that had a C-section, in that village they would have died and the baby would have died along with him. Kids dying of things they should never die of because of lack of basic medical care. So he asked us to come. And so we, and he said, but we're going to need to walk up this mud path to get there. He said, so roll up your pants and take off your shoes. And um, I have nurse practitioner feet, probably not the, the most scale, callous feet. So we begin to walk through this mud. And it's up to around your knees. And I begin to feel these things going in and out through my legs. And I said to him, I said, well, it's amazing that um, you have fish here that live in the mud. He said, oh, no. He said, that's not the fish. I said, well, what is it? He said, well, that's the boa constrictors. He said, the boa constrictors like to lay in the mud. He said, and they heat up when the mud heats up. He said, but don't worry. He said, they bite and it hurts, but you don't die. You'll be fine. I said, no, 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 I don't don't like snakes. I said, I'll walk up there on the bank. The bank was steep. So I started walking, put my shoes on, and began to walk along the bank and trying to hold conversation, and you're you're sticking out. So I'm walking, and... And the next thing you know, I feel burning on the back of my legs and up my back. I like to tell you I was very virtuous and raised my hands to Jesus and sang a praise song. But I did. I took my shirt off and dropped my pants. I, had, I was covered in bees. And those bees were stinging me. And I screamed out, there's bees up here. And he said, I know. That's why we walk in the mud. He said, the bees get you every time. He said, you just hope the snake bites somebody else and doesn't bite you. So I get back down in the mud, back down with everybody else. We finally make it to the village. When we get there, Feast, the doctor I work with, we walk into the village and they got a totem pole. The kids all have necklaces with little curses and little things that, that witch doctors told them that will keep black magic stuff, that will keep the, the, the bad spirits away. Their whole goal is to be in, the buried in the ancestral tomb. They're worshiping the ancestors. Feast walks and he shares with them that we have a hope in Jesus Christ that they do not need to sacrifice to a totem pole, but they can put their hope in a man who came and died on a piece of wood. And when he died, he paid for their sins for the past, present, and future. And that with Jesus Christ, they had hope and joy and peace. God takes ordinary boys from Wally Ford, West Virginia, takes them in the middle of nowhere, Madagascar, and does miracles. Not because of me. That Please know that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we can reclaim the miraculous because we serve a Heavenly Father that does the miraculous. And when we walk with Him, He will do that in our lives. The four lessons we learned today is this. We're going to resist complacency. We're going to be people of action. The second thing we see is we need to refuse to be, we need to reject fear and be people of great courage. We need to refuse to be self-centered and say we're going to be people of transcendence. And the last thing we need to do. Say we're going to reclaim the miraculous in our lives because we serve a Heavenly Father that takes ordinary people and does extraordinary things. Pastor, you come and pray for us.